Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this evening. It's Today is uh, December the 4th, uh, 2014, and uh, I am joined today by our, our illustrious co-hosts, uh, Mr. Mark Cantrell and Mike Howerton. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. Thank you very much, David. Illustrious. Wow. <laughs> illustrious, yes. How about okay. you, uh, Mike? How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Illustrious boy, I don't know about that. Have you ever met Mark? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It kind of pumps me up a little bit. <laughs> Come on. Trying to, it's the holiday season. I'm trying to be complimentary here, you know. It's not a big deal. We called it loose before. It's a little close, but that's fine. Illustrious. <laughs> After what it helps. Is it a good thing? Um, yeah, as far as I know, illustrious is... Uh, yeah, it's a it's a compliment. It was meant that, as a compliment. <laughs> um, today is a special day because uh, if today was tomorrow, it would be our one year anniversary of American Billiard Radio. So uh, we get a little pat on the back for uh, sticking with it and uh, bringing you guys the news and the interesting talk. Um, and we plan certainly to keep going with it. So uh, thank you for your support, all of you listeners out there. And uh, thanks, of course, I mentioned last week, thanks to all the IBR team and staff, and uh, I appreciate it. So uh, anyway, without further ado, you know, we've got to talk about this dadgum Moscone Cup. You know, we I, I will start by saying that uh, I look forward to it all year, obviously. Uh, we took a lot of time interviewing the uh, players and the coaches and getting the scoop. Um, we were avid supporters and i'm still an avid supporter of it obviously um today was disappointing though um overall i think um they played uh i guess maybe right around where i expected them to play i didn't think that there would be quite so many um obvious mistakes or blatant mistakes i I thought there would be a few bad rolls or a few bad decisions here or there but you know it is what it is um i certainly want to congratulate Team Europe for uh, pulling it off. They did a great job. Obviously, they outplayed us. There's no question about that. But uh, So, um, where I stand is good try, you guys. Um, you know, thanks for the effort. Um, sorry about the mistakes. I'm, I'm sad that that had to go down like that. But, uh, you know, you live and you learn, and, and that's the end of that. What, what was your impression, uh, Mark, about uh, how it all went down? You know, I'm uh, congratulations to Europe. I know a a few of the guys on Team Europe. Um, I think even though they came out with the win, I imagine on the whole, when they look at the big picture, I don't think they played that well either. You know, obviously they did enough to win, but I don't think they played... We've got how many world champions? Mike is Mike is probably more educated on stats and that kind of thing. How many world champions were on the European team and currently high ranked world world rankings were on the European team? Um, I, I I just don't think they they played that great. Obviously, they, they played better than the USA right, did, right? And it's something that has been led into the. 
whole thing of the inexperience of the team, and I'm not trying to go, oh, see, I told you so, um, because I was surprised uh, some of the results that came about. The doubles match, uh, Niels and Mark Gray against the two Justins. Yeah. That one, if you were to put your money on it, you can only go one way. you got the number one player in Europe, and uh, I think he's world number one, or he's, he's, he's definitely the world champion, I know, player in Niels. These two guys should never, you know, on paper, you shouldn't win that match. Right. It should have been a huge uh, confidence booster. Right. Um, but it, neither team, I think, played well. What do you say, Mike? Am I somewhat close on my that? Uh, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, three of the players on Team Europe were world champions. Um, you know, they didn't play their best game. And, and I have to agree with both of you. And, you know, it, it doesn't require any of us saying it. I mean, it was pretty obvious from anybody who watched it. They outplayed Team USA. Um, yeah. But I do think that this can be something to build on. I mean, there's one of two ways this is going to go. It, it either crushed their confidence and it's going to be Team Europe, you know, forever and ever, amen, or this is something they can build on. I mean, if you could sit these guys down and say, look, you all played bad. I mean, you all made mistakes. I mean, Justin following that seven ball in to try to get shape on the eight. I mean, it was just how many balls did they miss? And you're just looking at it thinking, how do you miss that ball? Shane, did they miss him that ball? Right. But... You know, if they don't make those glaring mistakes, they're right in this thing. Europe is not a juggernaut. Europe can be beaten. Right. And and I think these guys are capable of doing it. Right. Yeah. Now they've got a taste of what Moscone Cup is like. I mean, Schmidt and Corey and Shane, they knew about it ahead of time. Well, now both the Justins know, too. And... Like I say, I think that it can go in, in one of two directions, and I think if there's anyone capable of making sure that it goes in the right direction, it's Mark Wilson. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to agree with you there. I think, and uh, specifically on the point that I think that they could have, um, I think that they could have won. It's That's just my personal opinion. I think that they could have won. However, um, like Mark pointed out, you had, you know, two of potentially the least experienced players uh, on the team taken out two of Europe's best. That just goes to show you that it can be done. It's just a matter of can you focus and not make those uh, those silly mistakes that they did. Uh, just like you mentioned, Mike, following the seven in and, and missing safeties and just the scratches, the whole nine yards. It, that's, that's not what I expected. That's not the kind of mistakes I expected. I think that's why I was a bit surprised with the outcome. The score didn't actually reflect the real outcome. I, I, that's, I, I know that doesn't sound right. The like, uh, like you said, the, the a miss here and a miss there, and a little running a little too far on a safety that opened up a shot. That that was the difference. Yeah. It was it was small, and sometimes it was 
tenths of an inch <laughs> that made a, a, a game a rank win or lose. Right. I guess that's cool in general, though, isn't it? Well, specifically nine ball. <laughs> well, yeah, but, and, and so the kind of put the, you know they ended up in a spot where they weren't. I say every time I've probably been saying the last few years, you know, the Europeans were good at cleaning up our mess. And and that's what happened a lot of the times. And I think the uh, the crowd, I mean, I think Mike just said, you know, the experience, this was Moscone top on steroids, on crack, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> this, I don't think any of them have seen any. I, I know none of them have never seen anything like what they had. Or from the TV, you can only see the bomb part. There's a whole balcony above them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a crazy place. You know, when you talk about the crowd, um, as an American fan, I mean, you know, I'm unmedia, sure, but I'm always an American fan at Moscone Cup, and, and listening to that crowd for four days, you know, it it just grates on you, but <laughs> that, was, that was pure class when the tournament was over, and they chanted USA over and over like that. I was watching it with a a very good friend of mine, and and I said, man, the the small your uh, the small American contingent's making an awful lot of noise. She said, that's not contingent. That's that's the European fans. And I was just blown away. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 you know what? They're boisterous. You know, knowing because I'm from that, they're boisterous and loud, and that's all part of the sport. It's all part of the gamesmanship and and part of the fun, uh, whether it be. A Cricket match, rugby, soccer, uh, or Moscone Cup pool. Um, but the, you know, the Europeans and the Americans, they have a strong bond in general. And, and as boisterous as they are, they do have, uh, believe it or not, a certain amount of class. And I, I, I noticed that as well, Mike, and that's pretty cool. Well, I have a question for you guys. Um, what, um, you know, Ken, Charles, and I were talking about this earlier today. Now, in relation to what do you do, either as a player or a coach, when you when you find yourself in the position that they did, you know, which is several games behind and apparently tripping over their own shoelaces, is there anything that you can do or say at that point as a coach to, or even a player to another player? to sort of pull yourself out of that nosedive. In other words, if Mark Wilson was not even in the room at that point, would it have made a difference? Could he have done or, you know, and this is to either of you or to the listeners, what do you do when it, when things have gone wrong? How do you pull yourself out of that? Is there something you can do? Oh, well, I mean, we know that, that one approach is to go into the practice room and browbeat your fellow players, but, that was not this year. Um, yeah, I mean, was there anything Mark could do? No, because all of these guys have been there before. All of them understand. You know, when Shane went out there today, he understood, I have to win this match. I don't have to win the Moscone Cup all by myself. I have to win this match. Right. And had Shane won that match, then he would have had to win the next match. And all of his, his concentration would be, I got to win this match, and he gets it to the Justins, and then they just know. 
I got to win this match. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. I mean, they, these guys are capable. Shane could have, you know, we saw, was it on day two or was it on day one? When one of the matches started out with, with uh, it was, I want to say, six break and runs. I mean, these guys are capable. Yeah. You know, yeah. nobody on, on Team USA, you know, they don't hit balls like Mark and I do. We, you know, they're capable of breaking and running multiple racks. They could have came back today, but... Yeah, that's true. Boy, I mean, I, I've never seen Shane play that hesitant, and, and I've never seen him sitting in a chair like that. Like, like I mean, he looked like he was going to shed a tear today. It's rough. Yeah. Well, that had to have been an uncomfortable situation. Against you, I think that's where the problem starts. Is it, 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 and maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy or something like that that you just start. I, I don't know anybody who's played pool or played in a match. When things start going against you, it just seems like everything goes against you. It don't matter what it is sometimes, I and mean, maybe it's a it's a mindset. And that's something that Johan is good at, you know, telling his players, well, they've never been in that spot, really, too much that they've had to put themselves in that mindset that, you know, things are going bad for you, you know, get it together. Uh, as far as um, telling the players, I, have, I wouldn't have a, a clue in that particular situation. It's just it's just too tough to call. I guess you've got to be the captain. You've got to be around everybody to know what the mood is to be able to talk about it intelligently yeah. and where each problem lies. But Shane, um, I, I was amazed. I was amazed with uh, Shane. But I think you know, if anybody who knows Shane, he's not a big talker. You know, he's he, he's kind of quiet. He's kind of reserved, and he took that role of vice captain. I think he took it quite seriously, and he was there coming down to the players and talking to them and giving them encouragement and that kind of thing, which I, I don't know if that, it sounds silly that, that maybe that something like that would throw him off his game, but it's not something that he's accustomed to doing mm. and uh, putting himself out there like that, but he did his best to try and support his teammates, I did see that. So I don't know if that played any part at all. What do you guys think? Is, is hmm. that something that could play a part? Well, I'm, I certainly don't uh, discount the fact that that could have had something to do with his concentration. Um, I, I don't know. You know, that's a tough call to make. Obviously, you'd have to be in his head to be able to say whether that bothered him or not or was distracting or not. On the flip side of it, though, you know, you'd have to think that a smart guy, if he is getting distracted or his head's not in the game or he's too worried about somebody else's shooting, you would hope that they would recognize that they were having that issue. You know, obviously, self-diagnosis is a, is a problem, but, you know, that's, I guess, the conundrum is if you were so expected to take on that role and you... And you sort of tried to, as it appeared that Shane was trying to do, support and coach his uh, teammates there. Um, what if that is distracting? You know, wh who knows? I, you know. Yeah, is that Mike? Let me ask you this, Mike. What, what do you think of this? This is the first year that he's had 
the pressure on him that he's the anchor man, so to speak. It's true. It's, because in the past, it's always that Earl or Johnny there, or you know what I mean? But when yeah. he played in the Moscone Cup, this year he was the leader of the team, so to speak, as far as the players go. Do you think that could have played a part in his mental, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be the big dog here? Yeah, that might have applied some some extra pressure. You know, I mean, for the last couple of years, I've considered him the leader of the team anyway. I mean, right. yeah, he doesn't have the experience that Johnny or Rodney or, or you know, some of the other Dennis Hatch, you know, have, have from playing year after year, but Shane's our top player. I mean, there's no question. He's the top player in the U.S., and, and I look at him, he's at least got to be a 50 percent player when he's playing Moscone Cup. I mean, there's, I would make the comment that there's nobody on Team Europe that he doesn't want to gamble with, but there's nobody on either team that any player on any of those teams doesn't want to gamble with. They may not win, but they want to do it. You know, they all feel they're the favorites going into a match. Yeah. You know, a, a thought came to mind while you guys were talking. One refreshing thing from watching this year is even with the number of misses and bad safeties and failed kicks and ball in hands and, and everything else that Team USA went through, you didn't see them waving their cues in the air. You didn't see them, you know, demonstrating like, you know, uncontrollably how angry they were about it. They, they right. sat down, they grimaced, they understood they made a mistake. They beat themselves up mentally, but there were no sticks waving or anything like that. They were, they were gentlemen. They accepted that they made a mistake. They sat down and they they went on. This is true. That is very true. I, I have to agree with you there. Uh, at the very minimum, they did at least, as far as I can tell, they did represent the team and the United States very well. Like you said, there wasn't really any misbehavior to speak of. You know, that's great. That is very good. And I said it from the very beginning that I would rather lose with dignity uh, than win like a, uh, a des undesirable person. <laughs> or win like a schmuck. Because, you know, it, who nobody likes a sore winner. Nobody likes a sore loser. Either way, you know, I, the sportsmanship to me makes a big difference. And I mentioned before the games even began that I felt like it had a lot more intimate of a, of a meaning to a lot of the players. This is going by impressions. I did not spend you know extensive lengths of time talking to them personally about it. But because of the way that everything went down, I think that it meant more to some of them than it usually would have. Um, and I think that that was apparent in their behavior and their demeanor. So while it was obviously not a perfect uh, event, I do think that we can give them credit for sort of keeping it together, even though they did so terribly. It's it's definitely something to build on. You know, I I don't I could see early on. You know, okay, this is what Mark's uh, dream is of trying to put this team together, and. I think, you know, if you think about the score, then, yeah, they got their asses handed to them. But 
Yeah. I think that Mark and Don are going to come away from this thinking, okay, we've got something to build on here. We did what we intended to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, Mark had said before, uh, uh, Cantrell, you know, if, if they get blown out, then he's a schmuck and, and, you know, it, it was a failed, a failed attempt. If they do well, then you've accomplished something. They didn't do well, but, I still think they accomplished something. Now, neither of you guys were in Virginia with with me at the U.S. Open, but have you ever seen, and, and, and the players, I'm sure, are going to hear this and they're going to think, yeah, that's a really stupid analogy, but <laughs> unfortunately it's the best I can do. Um, you see a, a Little League baseball game where the kid hit a ball real well and he's coming off the field and he's talking to his dad and he's saying see dad i did that thing that you told me and it worked and i hit the ball so well and he's looking at his dad with pride and his dad is looking at him with pride that's what i saw on the the fifth and sixth days at the u.s open this year when the Justins were coming off the playing field, and when Schmidt was coming off, and even Corey to a degree, they were immediately surrounding Mark, who was there watching every match, and there was that feeling that there was a team there. You know, this is something we've worked on. These are guys that I've taken under my wing. These are my teammates, and I'm here to support them. Right. And when I saw that, I thought, wow. I've never seen that before. I've never seen Moscone Cup players, you know, two or three months ahead of time. Moscone Cup players from Team USA in the past have been teammates on day one of the Moscone Cup. They weren't teammates a week ago. Right, right. They won't be a teammates a week down the road, but it just seems, and, and I may be completely wrong, but from what I saw at the Open, it sure seemed like some of the eight because they hadn't chosen, you know, he hadn't announced the five yet, Sure, were really buying into Mark's idea. Right, right. So that's why I think there's something to build on here. Yeah. If, yeah. I, if I could just kind of correct you, Mike, I, I, I didn't say that if they lost the Michael Paulson <laughs> was a schmuck. <laughs> that is, that is going to be popular opinion on the forums. With all, with the the naysayers that that is you know, either a hero you're going to be a hero or a zero I think is kind of yeah how I would say that yeah um and and you know he's he's a, 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 he's done something that's brave I said it to him I said it uh, to many people he said you know the, the call of public popular opinion is a fickle thing um. And, you know, if we can go with your permission, Dave, and, and talk about the uh, team selection and, and and ask Mike as well, does the team stay the same next year? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you run with the same dog or do you, do you have to change it? That's a good question. Let's uh, take a real quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the team selection process just a little bit. We'll be right back after this.
Hi, this is Scott Lee. And this is Randy G. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. Uh, this week we're going to be discussing the mental game. And, and there are there's so many good things to read out there, Randy. We've talked about some other great books. What's uh, What do you think the book you've learned the most from is? As an instructor and a player, there's no doubt that it's called The Pleasures of Small Motions by Dr. Bob Fancher. And didn't he say... People say that pool is 90% mental, and, yeah. and that's true, but the mental game is 90% physical. physical. Yeah. <laughs> Bob puts it in a layman's term of what does the brain have to do, and then the brain shuts down. What does the body have to do before the brain starts in again? The, the book is fantastic for playing pool, for playing golf, uh, any of our static sports. But for me as an instructor, it gave me a routine to teach with. Well, and one of the things that uh, we can expand on that about is that everyone talks about a desire for controlling the cue ball, when in fact, that's impossible. Yeah, you can't control your cue ball. What we can control is the cue stick. Yeah. And of course, what controls the cue stick? Well, that's our body. I do. That's right. Yep. We can't touch a ball during a shot. And how and where energy is transferred depends entirely on how your body moves your cue. And again, this is one of the reasons why we develop an SOP. We have a standard operating process and a template and a mantra that allows us to set up and deliver the cue the same way on every shot. So are you saying that the stroke may be the most important thing? In, Absolutely. In, 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 in a session or two ago, we talked about the final frontier right. of thought-free pool. Yep. And here's Dr. Bob Fancher coming right back and and verifying the fact uh, that if you think and hit and hit at the same time, you're in trouble. You bet. And, you know, that means pool is about how you move your muscles. But the muscle movements in pool are all voluntary, not like breathing or reflexes. That means you have to choose them and execute them. And they're complicated. You have to coordinate a lot of them on every shot. The mental game is about choosing and controlling muscle movements to get a certain effect. And certainly, we, we just talked about this in another segment, how visualization is an important part of that mental game process. You can't control your body with ideas. Psychologists, especially those who study neuropsychology and those who study artificial intelligence, have learned that ideas, words, numbers, and concepts have only weak or indirect yeah, connections. If any. Yeah, to the parts of our brain that control our muscles. They've learned that most mental work takes place in images and not with ideas. Which is called visualization. Yeah. In addition, they've learned that the image-intense parts of our brains have very good connections to our muscles. I like that. Well, the brain controls the biceps. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. The eyes and the brain working together. Well, and again, this is why we look at the object ball, because our cue goes where our eyes go. Yeah. So images, not ideas, guide muscle movement. Therefore, if pool is a voluntary activity and images move muscles, we need to deliberately create a mental image to coordinate and guide the voluntary motions of our muscles. Amen. And that's, what, that's really what uh, thinking standing up and no thinking when down shooting is all about. Yes, it is. And, and, and is it tough to do? Do you know when you're in a zone, Scott, you can be in a zone for one shot, three shots, or a week. Right. But when you're out of the zone, it's a struggle. You know, I'm not sure there's ever been even any pro who's been in the zone for a week. Yeah. Maybe a match. Okay. Okay. I mean, there's a few recorded yeah. uh, uh, 1,000s out there, Wade Crane and a couple of others, out of tens of thousands of matches over the years that AccuStats has recorded. 
So it shows you that that uh, dead stroke or in the zone thing is we we'd call it nirvana as a pool player, and we'd live there if we could. Yeah. Yep. yep. And so what we can do is we can uh, train ourselves to present on an unconscious level an opportunity to fall into that zone more frequently. Sure. If you can do it for one shot, then you do it for two shots. The next thing, the turn, the the, the session is over, and you are in. Deadstroke or the, Nirvana or, or whatever they, what are some of those words? Yeah, out in there? the zone. But the way you Thought create train. that is to have a standard operating process and a standard shooting template. Yeah, and all that is, is subconscious when you're done. Sure. It takes a lot of conscious thought to build it. But boy, when you're done, that SOP is subconscious. Well, that's what SPF training is all about. It helps you identify and measure your shooting template to gain an understanding of your tempo and cadence and rhythm and how your body works. Everyone all built differently. We think differently. We learn differently. We perceive differently. There is never a one-size-fits-all. But as far as one-size-fits-all, SPF works for so many different yeah, styles sure of does. players. Well, did you know, uh, Scott, that uh, uh, Bob Fancher is a student of uh, my, and, and uh, he has been through pool school? I did know that. And, and in return, I studied his psychology, and, and uh, <laughs> I, I think I got a really good deal. I'm not sure how good Bob is a pool player yet, but... <laughs> I have learned more from the pleasures of small motions and being around Bob Fancher than a whole lot of other people. So there you go. To help with your mental game, read Bob Fancher's The Pleasures of Small Motions. Now, there's a lot more out there. Oh, yeah. But here's a good one to start with. I'm Randy G. And I'm Scott Lee. And this has been The One Minute Pool Instructor. Hi, this is Keith McCready, and you are listening to American Billiard Radio. And we're back, and I'm talking with Mike Howerton of AZ Billiards and Mark Cantrell. And we are discussing the uh, Moscone Cup. Uh, results and uh, obviously there was some issues with the team uh, USA did not perform quite as well as uh, the European team so uh, we ended up losing it and so Mark Cantrella is going to argue that uh, this could be the problems that we had could go all the way back to the team selection process now, before I let you run free with this for a second, Mark, I do want to throw in something and say that while I'm not going to dispute your point, because I know what you're going to say, I'm not going to dispute the point. I do want to say this, though. Uh, like I did earlier on the show, I don't think there's any real reason why we couldn't have won with the team that we had. It just it was a matter of focus, a matter of mistakes, etc., Blaming on a lot of things, but whatever the case, I think the team we had could potentially have done it. You're saying that uh, the root of all evil goes back to the team selection process itself. Now, what by that? Let's be more specific. Are you saying that you don't like a a coach 
hand selecting the members or do you not like how it was narrowed down or do you like what specifically do you think is the problem with what happened this year? Well, I, 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 you're putting words in my mouth. I'm, I'm not just asking I, the question. I'm not saying that. It, huh? I'm just asking the question, man. You can say your piece, man. <laughs> no, no, the, 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 like the, the other end. The, <laughs> the, the team selection process was up to mark. Um, I had uh, in the in the beginning, and I have switched a little bit. I'm sorry, I had a, a, you know, as much of uh, a supporter as I am of Mark Wilson, the Moscone Cup matchroom sports and the Moscone Cup in general, uh, the experience, but of some of the players. And would I, if it was, you know, given, if I was given the job, who would I pick a different team? Well, I got put back on my heels when I had when I watched the two Justins beat the two top Europeans and two top players potentially in the world. Yeah. Uh, when, when the two Justins beat them in the, in the game of doubles, it means it can't be done. It's not necessarily a bad choice. Right. Um, that was my only doubt on it. But if you go back and you say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick, and this has been somebody else has said this on uh, the forums on AZ Billions. Mark, pick five players that are going to represent the USA. Where do you start? Got to start with Shane, right? You've got to. You, if you don't start with Shane, you're an idiot. Because he's the number one player, definitely the number one player in America. Right. So you've got to pick him. Now, his, was his performance... As good, if you left him out, you'd be an idiot. You'd get crucified on the internet. You'd get pulled, pulled apart. You're stupid. But what if Mike Shane went in instead of Shane this year? Would he have made a difference? Yeah, maybe so. You can't <laughs> that, that, that's the problem with this picking of these teams. You can't... You've got to make a decision and you've got to say, stand by it. Right. Shane was supposed to be... Our anchor man, our top dog. I'm sure if you ask him, he'll tell you he didn't play well. And but you've got to pick him. So there's no crystal ball in this. Whereas who's going to play well? Who'd have thought that just the two Justins would have beat Niels and Mark Gray? If I'd have put my if I was making a bet, I wouldn't bet on him. <laughs> and you know, I've got nothing against him, but I'm just looking at the theory part of things. So it's so hard to pick the team. And, and bring a new face to it and a younger edge to it and get it right. That's my only issue with with, with the team. You, you, can't pick, you can't not pick Shane. But would Mike Duchesne have done better than, than Shane has? Yeah, right. Who knows? We, we don't know that. Right. There's no way to know. No, and you're right. So the question is then, does... Do you think it would be better to just pick some events and, and go by rankings? Or do you think it, that it's more fair or less fair to let a coach choose the methodology to get the team together? I, I think it, I, I still like the, the coach thing, but it's a strong argument for going on 
merit, but what merit do we actually have to go upon? Right. Uh, Mike is the expert. Mike's the expert on that because he knows every freaking tournament there is upstate, downstate, north, south, east, west. So, and what they play in and how well these players do. I know the players pretty good as far as what their reputation is and how well they play, but I'm sure that, uh, it, it, look, at the end of the day, picking this team is almost impossible. Because if you can't pick, if, if I pick Shane and he doesn't play up to, as well as Justin Bergman, then what chance do you have of picking anybody else? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think that was... Before you the... get follow me, am I making any sense at all here? Well, only a little bit, but that's all right. I think what you're trying to say is that it, even the the pitfall with picking the team is that, A, you can't predict the future, especially if you're going to have to pick them a year in advance and work with them. Because like you said, you may end up with some underdog that didn't make the cut in your mind, all of a sudden performing well all year like DeShane did. Um, and and then, of course, people start questioning you and, you know, why didn't you include him? So that is part of the problem is to be able to predict the future. And the ideal situation is to, is to go by the past. So, you know, even if it is a coach making picks or if it's a ranking system, now we have to determine what exactly can the coach judge you on as far as your events are concerned, which ones are strong enough of a field that it even matters. You know, if you can beat a bunch of guys at a local APA event, that's not saying much for your, you know, Moscone Cup worthiness. So there lies, and I'll turn this to Mike. What do you think is a better solution, Mike? Do you think uh, the coaching, the coach picking the team is better, or do you think that we should try to devise some sort of a ranking system? Well, I think it's kind of a, it depends on which team you're talking about. I think, I think if you went to Johan and said, pick five guys, and Johan said, all right, I'll take Darren, I'll take Mark, I'll take Carl, I'll take Nils, I'll take Nikos, and you put their performance on a scale and, and say that they played at a, a level 10, now let's say you go to him tomorrow and say, all right, Johan, pick your Moscone Cup team. You can't pick any of the five guys you just picked. I think he can easily pick five guys that can play 9.5 or 9.8. Yeah. And you could do it again. You could say, all right, now pick up your team. You can't pick any of the last 10 you picked. Okay, I'll pick these five. And they're always going to be at a 9 point something. I think the Europeans have been the outsiders when it comes to nine ball for a long enough period of time that they just come together as a team. I, I mean, Johan deserves a lot of credit, but he doesn't. He doesn't deserve all the credits. I mean, this isn't just. I, I agree. I agree. Purely Johan. You know, this is this is the European mindset, and the Americans have a different mindset. They don't. They, they <coughs> they're not the outsiders. They don't feel like they're the outsiders, and you would think that, that should lead them to have that confidence, but. Sometimes, you know, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance, and mm-hmm. it's, it's easy to go over that line. And I'm not saying anybody on Team USA was arrogant this year. I'm just saying, you know, there's a difference between I think I can do it and I'm going to prove I can, and I can do it, and, and you don't bring your A game. Um, 
I mean, I've always been a big proponent of the ranking system. I mean, I should be because, you know, we were the ones who put together the ranking system and took it to the <laughs> NCA. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, Mark, I think Mark picking the five, and I, I will go on record and say that I thought Mark might open himself up to some criticism by picking the two Justins, not because they weren't as well-known as some of the other players, but because even when you guys interviewed Mark and said, okay, Justin, you know, tell me about, and oh, Mark says, well, you know, I've known Justin for, you know, I've known him since he was a kid, he plays in this area. That's when I think he opened himself up to some possible criticism, because I firmly believe that when you are in a position like that, even if you know that everything you're doing is 100% neutral, you have to push and do 120% neutral because there are going to be those people who say, oh, well, you only picked him because you've known him since he was a kid. He's not really good enough to play right. on Moscone Cup, but, you know, he's your boy, so you want to put him in there. Now, I don't think Mark did that for a second. I think Mark was fully thought that all five guys were capable of winning the Moscone Cup. And I think they probably were. But, you know, it goes back to there are other people in our industry, and, and I, I'll slap my hand here because I don't want to, you know, go off and do another soapbox thing, but there are other people in this industry who don't seem to understand that even if what you're doing is 100% on the up and up, you've got to be 120% on the up and up because you're a person in power. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. With that said, I think he did a fine job of, of picking the players. I think they're all very capable of, you know, as a team. I wouldn't change the team. I think if you change the team now, then you destroy whatever, whatever that one or two steps forward that you've made this year, they're going to be gone because what you're trying to do is build a team. You're trying to build five guys with character who go about the game the right way, who behave properly, and that's what he's doing. He may not have created a juggernaut like Team Europe is, but you know they weren't created overnight either. You know they it took some time for them to build into what they are, just like it took Darren Appleton time to build into the player he is today. And Shane Van Boning, uh, you know, I I might have disagreed with a couple of his uh, his picks when he went from eight to five this year, but now that he's made those choices and now that he's picked his five, I say stick with them. And I know that I'm going to take heat for that, but <laughs> I would be, as a fan, I would be perfectly content to have him come out tomorrow and say, my five for next year are these five guys. I brought him to the dance, and I'm going to dance with him now. Wow. The same five, you think? I, I think he will. Okay. I, I, I mean, I know. I talked to Mark at the Open, and I said, you know, I, I was asking him about Skyler, and I was asking him about, you know, DeShane, and, and he said, well, we'd be idiots if we weren't watching the other players. You know, certainly we're watching, you know. Yeah. And he made the comment, you know, they'd love to see... A, a Johnny Archer or a Dennis Hatch, but he said that what they're the most interested in is are these players going about things the right way? And, you know, speaking of Johnny, kudos to Johnny. He was all over Facebook. He was back in the players. He was posting, 
you know, well, we're in a little bit of a hole after day one, but hey, we got something to build on. Let's bring it out tomorrow. I mean, Johnny was a great fan. Yeah, he and was. you know it had to be eating him up. Yeah, you know, not <laughs> being out there, especially when you see the guys making mistakes, and you're thinking, I'm not going to make that mistake. Yeah. Well, of course, none of us would. You know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are league players who looked at some of the mistakes we made and said, I'm not going to do that. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, you know, exactly. <laughs> Johnny was great. You know, cheering the team on. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, just, just so you know, it, it was actually genuine. It wasn't any kind of a PR thing that he was trying to do. Um, well, I was on the phone with him and texting back and forth while it was on. He had to go take his kids to karate and stuff like that. And he's going, "Tell me what the score? What's the score? What's the score?" And he, he's wanting to know updates on the score. Um, He's like, they've got to get together. Because you've got to get together. They've almost got this. So he was on Team USA's side. And, you, and you're right. He probably, you know, he, he's had a job there for 18 years. It was 18 or 19 years um, with the Moscone Cup every every December. And not being on the team this year, probably, you know, I'm, I'm sure did, you know, not make him the happiest guy in the world. But he was wanting uh, calling me and texting me, wanting updates on what was going on, and yeah, he was ruling on the team. So you know, it wasn't all just for Facebook show. Well, I, that's got to be a hard spot to be in in uh, Wilson's position. I, I I do say that it would have been hard to even make the decision at all, and then of course to take the decisions that they had to make in between time, you know, when there's no infrastructure for doing it this way, it could not have been all that easy to, to be a coach and be a manager and be all these other hats that you have to wear. I do want to give him credit for that because it certainly could not have been an easy task. And I certainly think he probably lost a lot of sleep over it. <laughs> thinking about what could potentially go wrong. I'm intrigued, though, Mike, about this uh, keeping it the same team uh, next year theory of yours. That's uh, I don't I don't disagree um, that it would be. I don't think it would be a horrible idea um, because you know, like you were saying, that certainly goes a long way towards trusting each other and getting to know each other and their weaknesses and their strengths and all the things that are encompassed in team building. Um, Do I think that will be a popular opinion? No, I don't really think that people are going to like that. They're going to want to look at the stats and say, well, here's the weakest players and replace them. Now, but here's the catch 22 though. I'm guessing that Shane. Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. If you're going to go by stats and call, well, who should be on the team and who shouldn't? Well, guess who you have to ax? It's not going to be anybody sooner than Shane. You know, I I hate to say that because I'm going to have Shane fans, you know, burning my house down over here. I'm not. I, I think Shane. I think Shane fans and Shane himself will tell you he did not put up the best performance. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it was disappointing. So it's not like it's, it's not like you're exposing any kind of dirty little secret here. No, no. That everybody, everybody knows. Yeah, um, this is true. But uh, keeping the same team, we like Mike was saying. Well, sorry, sorry, like uh, Mike was saying that 
Oh, my goodness. That is a ballsy move right there. <laughs> Just for the simple, for the simple, simple fact that you you got Mike, the Mike DeShane. Why Mike DeShane wins everything that, you know, does really well again this year? And you're going to, now he's the number one player in uh, America. Um, Shane's the number one player in America. I mean, <laughs> right now, it's not, it's not based on ability. If you take, and I'd like to see the stats. Hopefully somebody on the forums who uh, has access to all the videos. I'd like to know the stats. How many of those matches that we lost, the 11 matches that we lost, how many of them were we tied or ahead when we were at three? How many of them were 3-3 or how many of them were we up 3-2? Right. Yeah. Uh, if you take any of those matches and go back to the players and say, you got a mulligan, you got one shot that you played poorly, you can put the balls back up and shoot it again. We beat them. It's that simple. It came down to, could they do it under pressure? And right. that's not going to be any different for Mike or Brandon or Johnny or Dennis or Rodney. I mean, yeah, they're all fully capable. Right. You know, but I, I don't I, think I don't think you can say that, Mike. Capable. What's that? I, don't, I don't think you can say that, Mike. You can give each, give each player a mulligan. Would we be ahead? Maybe. Yeah, you probably would. But I think if, so, you give, yeah. if you gave your, the European team the same mulligan, how many, what, what would they be as by? Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. You know, they are It's hard to Well, it was one shot. Every, well, it was one less mistake when it mattered. And I'm not being, honestly, I am not trying to be up in Team USA. Uh, <laughs> but... We, 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 you're right. We, we get outplayed. We can give them a mulligan, and we can do, have a do-over, and we can play a race to 25 instead of a race to five, and all those fantastic uh, things that everybody's talking about. End of the day, the format that we had, we didn't perform as well as Europe did, and I, but I do believe that it was close. I, I believe it was is a hell of a lot closer than it looks like. Yes, it was right. It was. It was. It was one shot here or there in each match. Yeah. And, exactly. And, you know, from there it just went downhill. Right. Yeah. And, and unfortunately... The, the Europeans made some terrible mistakes. Yeah. Terrible mistakes. But then again, I've never seen... I, I, I can't believe it. I've never seen a professional, a professional player miss a ball that was right in front of him. With no ball instructor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that shot today with Shane? I'm not angry about Shane, but it happened. Yeah. It was straight ahead. I know he was probably trying to clip it real fine, but, I mean, it won't like he only just missed. He missed by quite a bit. Right. He was bridging okay. over a ball, I think, or off the rail. Uh, those, are, those are the mistakes that the Europeans weren't making. But then again, they made stupid mistakes as well, so... You know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned the shot that Shane missed, and, and I don't want to focus on that shot. I, will, I did see something that I was curious about, uh, and I want to ask you guys' opinions of it. Um, other than the times when somebody was trying to force a ball into the pocket to, to move Whitey around the table, did it seem to you when they were playing balls at pocket speed that that table was playing awfully easy 
Hmm. Yes. Yeah. I saw balls hit a diamond up the rail, and they, they went into the pocket and laid there for a second, and they fell in. I saw... I think um, Corey made one. There was two diamonds down the table. Yeah. I saw a lot of pocket cheating going on, that's for sure. It didn't look like on the camera, it didn't look like the pockets were enormous, but there were several times whenever there was a shot made, and I thought, that's never going to go in, and it went anyway, because just... Uh, you know, it was wider than the the camera would indicate. But I don't know. That's a good call, a good question. I, I don't know if I can accurately answer that. Well, you, well we know anybody on Team USA would say it was, but yeah. Well, most, most people who have something of a clue. I'm not saying I'm an expert or trying to say people don't know what they're talking about. So I'm I, I'm not the greatest expert either, but I do know this. On new cloth, balls go in easier. Right? Will we all agree with that? Yeah. Probably so. You agree, Mike? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, when the cloth is not worn in, uh, I think tables play easier. They play a lot more true. That's that's maybe what was going on there. And here's a question for Oscar Ernesto Dominguez or somebody who does table covering or knows a hell of a lot more. How much play does a table have to have before that cloth is worn in and it tightens (laughs) tightens up a little bit for the pocket? Not balls not going in as easy. That's a good question. You know, during the musket, yeah, there's a lot of games played, but there's not that many games played. Right. How, long, how many games does it take to make a, a table start playing not like it's a new clock? Mike probably knows. A lot. It's, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, more than more games than they played because um, yeah. it, it, it it didn't seem to tighten up. And <laughs> excuse me, um, you know, there were times when it, it played. You know, the the pool gods really. You know, but it seemed like it was when they were trying to force a ball, for the most part. Mm. Um, you know, but it, it did, and I understand these are pros, and they know how to hit a ball at pocket speed. They understand how to hit a ball that can hit a diamond up the rail and still go in the pocket. So I'm not, I'm not trying to take anything away from the pros. I never want to do that. I, but it just, it seemed to take a lot of balls that I didn't think it was going to take. Mm. You'd see a, a shot, and you'd think, "Oh man, he jarred the ball," and it would go in. And both teams did it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I did. I did see that myself. And uh, again, there was one show with Corey. It was he was two diamonds down the rail, going in the top corner pocket, and I'm like, "Oh, she, she's he's missed that," and it still went in. So you know, every but everybody had the opportunity. Some players do know how maybe try to take advantage of it a little bit more, and that may have led to some misses as well. Yeah, do you, do you think that could have been? Hmm. It's it's hard to it's hard to know what caused the play. You know the level of play that we saw. Because I mean, I've never seen Shane miss balls like that. Um. And some of the other guys. I mean, like I was saying earlier, Justin had nails on the ropes. He's running out and he scratches three rails. There was no, 
There was no reason for that whatsoever. And there were other shots that, that you know, the Justins, who I think did a very good job of showing that they were worthy of, of being picked on that team, they still just missed balls, and, and I didn't understand it. You're, you're like, how did that happen? There's no way. Right, right. There was a, I think it might be day one, <laughs> Corey was playing, and there was two shots that were, I think one was a side pocket shot that Mike could make. You know, like that was that easy. Yeah, 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 well, he was, and he missed it. And I, can't, I could not believe. And there was two shots that were, to me, just shots that should have been made. And a lot of it, yeah, is, is going to come down to the nerves, the tension, the atmosphere, right. and, and everything else. Right. I mean, we can second guess, the, you know, we can second guess the team, the picks, and, and everything else. Every team member the USA had is capable of beating the other team member, whether it be the singles or scotch doubles. Right, right. That's including the two Justins who are the, supposedly, you know, the rookies, uh, and, and forgive me for saying the low end of the strong pole, but they actually proved me wrong in a lot of the, the, the cases that, that came around in some of the games that they won and things like that. Who beat Niels? One of the Justins beat Niels. Uh, in the singles, didn't they? Mm, I thought it was Schmidt that beat him. Yeah. Schmidt won a singles match on day one. I thought that was against Nails. Yeah, and I was so, oh, man, I was, I, I tell you, I thought that John, I'm like, oh, all this talk about John not being, shouldn't be on the team, and for whatever reason, because he doesn't play as much as, you know, the, some of the other players, I'm like, oh, man, he's coming with it. Man alive, this is awesome. And then, I don't know if it was day two or day three, he started to, yeah. he, he had that one day that was just horrendous. I mean, he couldn't do anything right. Well, he it was, was on I three, know, yeah. I don't think he was his, his skill level or anything. It was just, Third everything day. just went out. No. Yeah. No, just like you, on the first day, I was very, very proud and surprised at John's performance. But uh, And the second day, not so bad. Third day, uh, uh, it was terrible, man. Yeah. Um, you know, with the nine, the nine ball, the, the, he made the nine and scratched to the side. I mean, who the fuck that? Oh, that's yeah. Just oh, wow. Yeah, that, that had to be – that's a dream crusher right there. Is what, <laughs> that's what that is. I, I tell you what, I, I'll bet you if I give him – well, no, they're pretty good. If, if I made him 100 bucks to do the same shot again, I'm not sure he could do it. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do. All right, I think we've bored everybody to sleep. Um, so our job of the nighttime show has been successfully <laughs> accomplished. We've all the listeners are asleep now. We can go home. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Mike and uh, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you. I've enjoyed kind of laying some steam off, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I don't get to talk to people about this stuff too much, you know? I know. It's not like you can... <laughs> yeah, you can't go to the grocery store and just spark up a conversation with anybody about it. They they look at you funny. Did you see that shot that Nikos <laughs> missed yesterday? Did you see that shot? Yeah. The grocery store, what are you talking about? Was it an assassination attempt? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what you would get, exactly. Or they would wonder why we're playing playing golf when it's cold outside, basically. So. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank thank you very much. I appreciate it. Nice talking to both of you as usual. Yes. Thanks again. And uh, we will uh, catch up with you guys uh, next week when we'll all probably complain about Moscone Cup a little bit more. So uh, we'll talk to you later. Hey everybody, it's Allison Fisher here for Pool on the Grind on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. Joining me this week on the show is the latest tour winner on the Predator Pro-Am Tour, Yomailene Feliz. Hello everybody, how are ya? Thank you very much for joining the show and it's uh, it's really great to be here. I'm here at Amsterdam Billiards with Yomailene. Tell me a little bit about your, first of all, uh, first win ever on the tour and what that experience was like? Um, first of all, it was a great experience because um, you know I had the chance to play some great players. Uh, actually, in my loser side, I had the best experience than in the winner side. And the winner side, kind of, you know, when you're winning, you don't feel you don't you don't feel like that much pressure because you know you just keep on doing the same thing over and over. But on the loser side, I felt like it was. You know, if I lost, one match is over. So for me, it was just grinding it every single time, you know, like playing those saves and trying to, like, take advantage of their misses at the right time. Um, I feel like uh, my practice, I practiced for two weeks straight before I played that tournament, and I actually lost. I played two tournaments for two following weeks before that, and I lost them back-to-back. So I feel like... Competing, like when you keep yourself competing and then just not believing that like what you're doing is it's wrong, it's going to eventually pay, it off, pay off, you know? You have to keep practicing. You have to keep like shooting by yourself, I feel, is a good thing. But you can shoot with others also. But I feel you need to give yourself like, you know, an hour or two of your own time to, to miss those shots and to remake them, you know, to put them in different spots. So for me, it was, it was great that like, I, had, I had those shots that I know that I've been missing. To, they showed up in my, in my game, and then I've been practicing again now. And also the, sh- the shots that I've been practicing, that in certain occasions, they paid off because I was like, shit, I know the shot. <laughs> so it was good. So the match that you lost in the tournament was actually to the player that you ended up beating in the final, Naldo Troncoso. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about the match that you lost. Was there anything that you felt that you could have done differently, or what was that experience like, and then your attitude coming back after that? Well, a lot of things that probably they'll, a lot of people might think it's like a pool, pool player kind of whine or something or cry. It's like we were playing in a really bad table in the back, table 26. It was like 
a furry table, like uh, the cloth is coming off a little bit and it's got hairs coming off. So um, that table for me, it's not my favorite. It could be played, like you can play on any table, it doesn't matter. But I came in into the match like actually annoyed, you know, like I was like, Finnegan, come on. Finnegan is the director of the tournament. I said, Finnegan, change, change me. I don't want to play there. And then Finnegan said that he didn't have enough tables, so we, had, we were forced to play there. So I guess, like, looking back, I, I should have came into the, into the match more, like, accepting whatever happened, you know, kind of like when you get a bad shot and then you just play a save or, like, take it, whatever. But I came in upset, and then um, Steinway Billiards is a busy pool hall. So around that table, which since is in the back, all the most of the players are playing in the front. In the back, they put a lot of, like, the regular people that come in to shoot, you know, the boyfriend and the girlfriend, the, the kids, you know. And so we had, like, people around talking and having fun and drinking while I'm trying to focus. And my headphones died, like, one of them, so I couldn't put them on. So, yeah, I just bought a, a new pair of headphones, so I'm going to try those on in my next tournament. But um, And I actually have to get used to not playing with, with headphones because... Because um, uh, you know, in professional tournaments, you don't, you're not allowed to wear headphones anyway. So. Right. But I'm, I'm working on that, and like focusing on what's right in front of me, and uh, taking a look of all the things that are happening that are bad that are annoying me. Sure. Like if I miss a shot, and or if I keep missing that same shot, or, or if I'm playing a bad table, or, or a person that keeps talking, you know, just gotta like block it off. Sure. Yeah, that's a it's definitely a big challenge. I know for myself also is to not let the external variables get under your skin and it's very difficult to do at times but it's it's uh it's something that players at that pro level have really for the most part learned to master but still sometimes the the conditions can be very difficult and that's what makes pool, uh, one of the things that makes pool particularly challenging because you never really know exactly the conditions that you might have to be playing under, especially in, you know, pool rooms. If you're playing more in a tournament setting where there's uh, designated match tables it's set up specifically for that purpose, then there's a little more control to be had. But uh, I, I, really, I really respect everybody who plays on these regional tours, on the and uh, these pool rooms, and all of the rooms, Steinway included, do a lot to try to make it the best that they can. They do, you know, they do the best job, and we just have to take what we can get sometimes. Yeah, that's right. Especially if you got a bad table, it doesn't matter. You know, play whatever shots you yeah, got. You know, to right. accept it. Um, I believe that, like. Your state of mind also. Thank you very much. Uh, your your state of mind uh, coming into a game can influence you completely. Like if you're if you're depressed, if you're sad, if you're anxious, if you if you don't like the person that you're playing, sometimes you know that can influence you both ways for the good or for the bad. Like, right. I tend to play good when I'm angry. Like when I when I play Naldo and he beat me. I was angry at myself, not at him. I was angry that I couldn't, I couldn't let it get away from me. That that I was annoyed. I couldn't push it away. So I played Judd Parker, and then I don't know. I just, I just kind of like 
zone somewhere, and I beat him 7-0. But, you know, like, that's how I want to play every single time. But it's just, it's hard because it's not, you know, it's, it takes a part of you somewhere inside your mind to to block things out, to go inside your cave and say, like, you're fine, just make the shot. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that is a that is a very good point. You would love to be able to replicate that every every single time and and have that zone that zone moment uh, every time you get to the table. So uh, you've been playing on the tour for a number of years, and I think we were talking about this the other day that it's been since 2009 that I remember you started playing on the tour. And the tour has been around only since 2008. I shouldn't say only because that's actually a really, uh, a really long time in in pool years, so to speak, for a uh, for a tour to be around. So we're coming up on the Pride of Their Tour finale two weeks from now, and this coming week is going to be the Mr. Q Christmas Classic, and then the following week will be the finale. And you will be playing in that tournament. Will that be the next event you play in? Yes, uh, I'm going to be playing at, at the Rags finale. Um, I I like actually Rags tables. I, I don't know they, the, that bright blue cloth. I really love it. I don't know. I, I, I like going over there, meeting with the owner, and I think that I want to support also the Predator tour. So I I'm not just going to go because I like the pool hole, but I'm gonna, I'm also going to go because it's the last one and. No, I'm going to have to wait a little while to play again there, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> sure, the, the finale is definitely a prestigious event, and it's, I believe, $4,000 added tournament, so it'll be a nice payday for the winner. They'll have the amateur 9-ball division and the open 10-ball division. So you plan on practicing here at Amsterdam Billiards in between now and then? Uh, yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm thinking about also playing the Women's International Pool at Steinway. I'm trying to, so kind of like the entry fee is a little expensive, so I'm, I'm kind of mentally preparing myself to, to do it and to face that I might not cash, you know, because there's a lot of really tough females that are going to play there, and it's kind of like my actual first pro tournament with, with a lot of these girls. Um, I played. I played regional tours. There's nothing like that's gonna happen at Steinway. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing my ten ball game right now. My ten ball break. Um, I'm actually making a ball, which is good. But I can't see the the, the cue ball. I mean the the one ball uh, every time that I break. So I have to get used to that. You know, I might not get a shot every single time, and I have to play safe more often. So practicing my defense. Um, and also practicing breaks, that's really good for, for 10 ball. And I'm also keep playing uh, 9 ball at league, practicing for like tri-states or predators and stuff. Mm -hmm. You play league here at Amsterdam? Uh, yeah, I play uh, the 9 ball league at Amsterdam Billiards um, on Thursdays at 6 o'clock with uh, my captain, Emily Duddy. Everybody knows Emily, she's a really nice person. Um, and a cool friend. She asked me, I actually wasn't going to join Leap this season because of work, but she asked me um, late in the season because somebody dropped out, so I said, yeah, sure. Um, and now it, it's actually the reason why I'm back to playing again, because I took off for about two months. So because of League, 
I'm actually in League Zero and Four. I haven't won once um. this season, so I don't understand what's going on. But um, <laughs> I think maybe like tournaments mentality and league mentality is completely different. Yeah. And I feel more in a social state when I'm uh, playing league. When I'm playing tournaments, I feel more meditative and sort of like it's on. And like you're in your yeah. own space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's on for a longer time. So um, I'm, I'm still trying to uh, bring that into um, every everything that I do. Like not just pool, you know, like my life. Just stay in like a zen zone because a lot of things can bother you, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you're in the train and then there's that one person is talking really loud and you're like, oh, I have, have a headache for the whole day. And I'm just trying to stay calm and in that meditative state, it's, it's really good. So I hope that maybe I can bring it and we win one game, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Try it. Hopefully next week. All right, well, this is going to be a very exciting time to be in New York with the Women's International Pool Championships coming up. Uh, are there any particular players that you um, kind of have wanted to play against that you might have the opportunity to when you're when you're there, or any certain players that you particularly like to watch in terms of pros? Uh, yeah, I, I keep hearing about um, China Doll. I think that's her nickname, Jennifer Chen. Mm-hmm. I, I want to watch her game. I've been looking for uh, YouTube videos, and I can't find any, so maybe somebody can holla at Allison and let me know. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing her play. Hopefully, I don't, I don't, I'm not in her bracket, so <laughs> because I hear she's really tough and she's got a lot of practice and just, you know a lot of devotion. So, so am I, but it's just I've been playing for. Uh, a short time and just a different way that I practice. I don't. I don't have a coach or anything. Just you know, I practice on my own. I, I fix my things on my own. I read a lot and um, you know, I have uh, Joe Tucker, a Joe Tucker book that I use all the time for drills. But uh, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to see a lot of girls that are going to teach me a lot of stuff on the table and off the table, and I'm going to soak up to that because I like to watch and, and redo that all the time. Yeah, it's going to be a great opportunity for a lot of the players because there's going to be a lot of um, qualifiers who haven't played on major pro events before. So it'll be great to see the contingent of players that come from New York. We have Caroline Powell who qualified for the event. So uh, and then Emily Duddy is going to be playing yourself and a, a number of others, so it'll be nice to see how everybody stacks up to the other regional players coming out, and of course the pros as well, so I want to wish you a lot of luck at that event and at the Predator finale, and it's been really great having you on the show. Thank you very much, it's been great with talking to you, you know, you're always amazing, and I love you, and like, you know, I want to say that um, to everybody, Allison does a really hard job you know talking to people like this I can't do this I get nervous and she does it really well I'm just watching her and admiring her so give me props thank you I really appreciate that Smiley and it's been great having having you on the show so I'm going to sign off for this week on AmericanBilliardRadio.com I'm Allison Fisher thanks everybody for joining us